Hello, everyone. I am glad that you are here. I have a webinar for you. The title of it is How to Make a Biblical Decision About Anything. I am Rick Thomas, and I'm thankful to be able to bring this webinar to you. Some of you are listening by podcast. Praise God for you. If you do have time, please make it over to our ministry's website. I have a fully animated one-hour uh, keynote presentation that you can watch, and with all the graphics that are involved, the illustrations that I'm going to present, uh, you will benefit greatly if you can make the time to watch this in a video format. For those of you who are watching by video, thank you also for being here. As always, if you have any questions, please again come to our ministry's website and you can ask those questions. This webinar on how to make a decision, a biblical decision about anything, is one of our Fab Four. This is the Mount Rushmore. We have four specific webinars that are essential viewing for every person on the planet because it has universal application. How to make a biblical decision about anything is obvious because we make scores of decisions every day from minor to major, but especially when those major decisions are confronting us, we want to be able to walk through that decision-making process in a biblical way. By the way, the other three webinars that make up our Fab Four are On Fear of Man, Overcoming Self-Reliance, and then the fourth one is the doctrine of repentance. And so the doctrine of repentance, self-reliance, fear of man, and biblical decision-making, those are essential. And so if you're going to pick webinars to watch on our uh, from our website, then please choose those four. Put them at the top of your list. All right, so let's get into this, how to make a biblical decision about anything. Again, I'm Rick Thomas, and I'm thankful that you are here. The text of Scripture that I'm going to be working from throughout this entire webinar comes from Romans 14.23. There are two sentences in that verse. I am focusing on the last sentence where Paul says, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin, meaning that as you step forward, Forward toward a decision, you must be moving forward in faith. If you cannot move forward in faith, then Paul says it would be a sin. Therefore, the crucial question that you will have to ask with any decision that you make is, am I in faith to do whatever it is that I am planning on doing. Now, let me give you some synonyms for the word faith, because I really want to move through this in the clearest way possible. And so I want to stop at each point appropriately, because I really want you to nail this information. And so when I talk about making decisions, proceeding from faith. There are synonyms. There's other ways. There's other words or expressions that you could use that will communicate the same thing. One of those is, I've already used it, in faith, meaning are you in faith to do what you are about to do? Now, this is these are the two words that Lucia and I use all the time when we talk about making decisions. I will ask her, are you in faith to do this? Now, we have talked about biblical decision-making for so long and so often that she knows exactly what I am asking. Paul says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Therefore, I'm asking the question, are you in faith to do whatever it is that you want to do? Another synonym to faith is confidence. And of course, I mean God-centered confidence, not self-confidence. And so are you confident? Do you have God-centered confidence that this is the thing that you should be doing? Another synonym for faith is hope. Hope works very well here. And then also belief which you would imagine, as well as trust. Those are two synonyms. I trust that this is what God wants me to do. I believe that this is what God wants me to do. And then a phrase that you can use, I know it's right if I do such and such. And of course, you can fill in the blank there, but I know it's right if I do such and such. And that is a way of saying that I'm in faith to do it. I have a God-centered confidence in doing this. I have biblical hope that this is the right thing to do and so forth. And then finally, another synonym for proceeding by faith is, I believe God is okay if 
I do this, and then whatever it is to fill in the blank. Now, you can add other expressions along these lines as long as you understand where we're coming from in Romans 14, 23, that whatever we do, big or small, we must proceed in faith. If we are not walking in faith, then therefore it will be sin. Now, one of the most important questions that you can ask, and one of the issues that you have to delve into, is your conscience. Everybody has a conscience, and our conscience shapes us in unique ways. And so, therefore, you cannot have a discussion about biblical decision-making without addressing the conscience. In fact, conscience training, teaching on the conscience is one of the most important things that we do in our mastermind program. Your conscience is your co-knowledge, which is what it literally means. Con-science in the Latin, it means co-knowledge. Knowledge and science are the same words. Or you could say that it is our inner voice. Every person has a conscience, has co-knowledge, has an inner voice, and it is essential that we know how our conscience operates and how to respond uh, to our consciences in the biblical decision-making process. For example... When Paul was talking about the Roman uh, talking about the Gentiles in Romans 2 verses 14 and 15 he said this there are two important sentences here he says for when the Gentiles who do not have the law do not have the the Pentateuch specifically when the Gentiles do not have the the five books of Moses by nature, do what the law requires, even though they don't know anything about the Bible, even though they don't have a Bible. By nature, they do what the Bible requires. They are a law to themselves, Paul says, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. He's talking about their co-knowledge, their inner voice. He's talking about their consciences, and then he says it plainly while their conscience also bears witness, bears witness, that co-knowledge, that inner voice, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Every person saved or lost has a law written on their hearts. God has given each person a conscience, an inner voice to help to direct us, even though we're not carrying a Bible, even though we have no regard for what the Bible teaches, we do have a conscience, which is what Paul was talking about in Romans 2. In 1 Corinthians 8, the entire chapter is a chapter on the conscience. You're familiar with this chapter. This is where Paul was talking about a a group of Jewish people who became believers. After they became believers, they recognized that their Christian brothers and sisters were eating meat that was offered to idols. And these people, because these these former Jews who are now Christians— Uh, Because their conscience has been shaped by their former manner of life, their conscience was convicting them that it was wrong to eat meat. And you can see how important it is to understand the works of a person's conscience when it comes to moving forward by faith. These Jewish brothers could not move forward by faith because their conscience was weak. And then at the end of 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 8, verses 12 and 13 specifically, Paul said this, Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And Paul opened up this chapter in 1 Corinthians 8 by saying that we all have knowledge, meaning that we all know that there aren't any real idols and there aren't any real gods other than Jehovah himself. And we know that we have freedom to eat meat and it just isn't a big deal. But Paul also says that this kind of knowledge can make one arrogant, that knowledge puffs up, 
but love builds up. And he was teaching them about the conscience, that we want to be careful that we don't take our liberty and flaunt it because we're free to do X, Y, or Z when our friends are condemned in their conscience because of past shaping influences. And so in 1 Corinthians 8, verses 12 and 13, he talks about a weak conscience. Therefore, the conscience becomes a huge deal when we think about proceeding by faith or not proceeding by faith. Therefore, your conscience is your personal highest level of morality. Now, let me explain this sentence here. The highest level of morality is obviously God's Word. But as you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, These Jews who became Christians had another level of morality, their personal level of reality that actually uh, trumped the Bible itself because Paul is saying that they need to obey their conscience. They cannot sin against their conscience. Therefore, your conscience becomes your personal highest level of morality, meaning that your conscience is moldable, your conscience is shapeable, and sometimes your conscience can be weak because of various reasons, religious training, uh, the way that you were reared, the things that you were taught, as in the case of these Jewish believers, their conscience was shaped in an improper way. Therefore, they weren't living in the freedom of what the Bible released them to do, in their case, to to eat meat. Therefore, when you're helping a person to work through biblical decision-making, you want to delve into conscience-shaping influences. If a person is struggling with something that the Bible clearly does not forbid you from doing, like eating meat offered to idols, I will give you more illustrations in just a moment. What you want to be careful, what you don't want to do is just map your experience and your freedom over them as though you're saying just get over yourself. Remember, Paul calls this being arrogant, but you want to lovingly build them up and walk them through whatever is binding their conscience so they can live in a biblically informed conscience kind of way rather than being in the bondage of a weak conscience. Therefore, when you're helping a person to bring their consciences in line with what the Bible teaches, you have to delve into what have been the conscience-shaping influences in your life. I want to give you several possibilities. The obvious one, or one of the obvious ones, is Adamic-shaping influences, meaning that we all come into the world totally depraved, broken, fallen, shaped in an evil and dark way, alienated from God. We have an inner voice that is not bibliocentric. Even though we may be Gentiles who do not have the law, our conscience can accuse us or excuse us in unbiblical ways depending on our Adamic fallenness. And, And though every person is totally depraved, each individual is uniquely fallen, and so no two people are fallen the same way, and so you want to understand what makes them tick. Why do they think the way they do? Why do they make the decisions that they uh, make? And part of why they make those decisions is because of Adamic fallenness, but there are more shaping influences than just Adam. Our parents obviously are a shaping influence for good or bad in our lives. If you have a critical parent, for example, uh, then you will tend to cave toward fear. Therefore, you will be more anxious or more tentative. Your conscience will be condemning you about making decisions, and you won't be in the in, you won't experience freedom in making decisions because you have lived in such a critical authoritarian environment a non-encouraging, non-building-up environment. Therefore, you will be apprehensive about stepping out in faith, and so fear will have a lot to do with the shape of your conscience. 
parents can have an adverse shaping influence. Now, the opposite is also true, that parents can build us up in the proper way to where our consciences aren't bound. Another shaping influence is our peers. Uh, All of us have gone through that time in our lives, our teenage years uh, specifically, but there can be other peer-influencing seasons in our life where our consciences have been uh, shaped in an adverse way. One of the most common ways with peers is fear of man, being made fun of or, or being an anomaly or an outlier or being cast out or being cast down that can really uh, shape our consciences to where our inner voice is just it's louder in a negative way than it should be. And so peer influences can really be harsh and unkind and it can shape our inner voice. Also, the context in which we live, and we have many contexts. In this slide here, you see I'm giving you just one context, which is the academy, our education, academic uh, journey uh, from kindergarten to uh, elementary school to middle school, high school, college, and so forth. Uh, But that is just one context in which we live, but that context is going to shape how we think. We live in such a culture now that is uh, anti-God and anti-Bible uh, that we even call uh, our the academy uh, indoctrination centers because they are indoctrinating our children in ways that the Bible does not teach. But what are they doing? They're shaping their consciences, their inner voices to believe a certain way and also to refrain from believing in biblical ways. And so their inner voice can be so loud and so anti-God that the context in which we live, the academy in this illustration, can have a horrendous shaping influence on our consciences. And then, of course, the culture and then religion is a big one. Uh, if you come, if you're part of a legalistic environment, for example, I'll talk about that in my illustrations in a few moments. But religion can have a horrific shaping influence. There are people that come from legalistic environments when they are introduced to the doctrines of grace. They don't have, they don't know how to live uh, in the freedom that grace provides because of this training. It's almost as though they have been held down by heavy-handed, authoritative teaching, religious teaching, to where they feel so condemned and they feel guilty uh, when they see other people making decisions that they just don't have the power or the freedom to make, very similar uh, to the Jews in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 who have been trained all of their lives that it is a sin to eat meat. Well, we too can have a similar experience through our uh, the religious context in which we are in. And then another shaping influence is the uh, or the are the decisions that we make. Uh, the very decisions that we make, whether they affirm uh, the decision that we make, uh, if the result affirms that it was the right decision or we make bad decisions and that has a shaping influence on our conscience, but the decisions that we make can influence future decisions that we need to make. And sometimes the decisions that we make can harden us because we have been making sinful decisions to where our heart has become harder and harder and harder. Well, therefore, any decisions that we make in the future are not going to be bibliocentric. They're not going to be uh, pure decisions. Of course, you could have the opposite of that. Uh, You could have a weak conscience based on the affirmation of decisions that you have made in the past, and of course that will continue to perpetuate. So some of the conscience-shaping influences that you want to delve into to see why a person is stuck, if they are stuck, are Adamic influences, parental influences, peer influence, context, whether it's academy, uh, work environment, Uh, the urban environment, the suburban environment, uh, whatever these different contexts may be, culture, religion, and then the decisions that we make. Now, the absolute sweet spot where we all want to live is where the Spirit of God is illuminating our minds, and it is singing the same tune as the Bible. If our conscience and the illuminating Spirit and the Bible are all singing the same tune, then you are in the absolute perfect sweet spot. And that is the goal where we all want to be. 
Now, you remember what Paul said in Ephesians 4, 22, that we all have a former manner of life. I have been addressing part of our former manner of life by giving you some of these shaping influences that makes us into the people that we are. And then we come into our Christian experience and we bring all of that baggage from Adam depravity all the way down to the decisions that we have been making throughout our lives. And we bring that into our Christian experience. And of course, Paul says in verse 23 that what we want to do is begin to renew our minds. And part of renewing our minds is cleansing our conscience, whether it's a weak conscience or a hardened conscience, we want to bring it right into this perfect sweet spot of a biblically informed conscience. And so let me talk about the weak conscience first. I mentioned it already in 1 Corinthians 8, but we also know that there is a hardened conscience. And so as you're looking on the screen here, uh, you see this uh, these three options, basically, what we have. You can have a biblically informed conscience, and then you could uh, layer your conscience in such a way that it becomes weak and weaker and weaker and weaker. Or you could go the other way by uh, rejecting God and choosing to live in sin, and you can layer your conscience in the other way to where it becomes, it goes from dull to duller to hard to hardest, and so it can go the other way as well. And so whether we're living in a hard conscience kind of life or a weak conscience kind of life, the goal for us is to move toward the center line and to have a biblically informed conscience. And so let's talk about the weak conscience. Going back to 1 Corinthians 8, I want to give you another verse. This is verse number 7. We looked at 12 and 13 earlier. But Paul says not all possess this knowledge, this knowledge that you have that, hey, it's okay to eat meat. Get over yourself. Be free. We live in grace. You want to be careful how you communicate that. Because Paul is saying here, not everybody has that kind of knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, that is that former manner of life, uh, that is like the list of conscience-shaping influences that I was talking about. These people, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. They really, really believe that this food is offered to an idol, even though we know there is no such thing as an idol. There are no gods. There is only one God, but not these people. Their conscience is pinging them. And every time they look at that Happy Meal, their conscience is saying, no, 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 no. They eat food as really, actually offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. And that is what I was saying earlier, that your conscience becomes your unique, personal, highest level of morality when the Bible should be. The, the Bible is truly the highest transcendent level of morality, but as you see in this case, in 1 Corinthians 8, 7, because of their former association, their consciences have been shaped in such a way that their consciences is transcending even what the Bible teaches and Paul says that we want to help these people because they have a weak conscience. Now, I want to give you several illustrations, and this is not an exhaustive list, but some of the ways that people get tripped up and have a weak conscience. And I'm going to talk about a number of things that I struggled with myself, specifically through my religious training. I, when God regenerated me in 1984, I went into a legalistic, fundamentalist culture, and they had a lot of rules, a lot of extra-biblical rules. And because I didn't know anything about the Bible, I truly didn't. I didn't know John 3.16 when God saved me, so I literally knew virtually, not, well, literally and virtually knew nothing about the Bible. Uh, I didn't know anything about the Bible. And, and, and what I mean is I knew the Ten Commandments because I saw the movie. And so when I entered into Christianity, I just ticked all the boxes. I did what everybody said you were supposed to do. And one of the sins that they said that you can't commit 
is that it is a sin for a woman to wear pants. Now, of course, I didn't have a problem with this sin since I'm not a woman, uh, but it's just one of the rules. And so I knew that if any woman was wearing a pant, wearing pants, or if my wife was wearing pants, that she would be sinning, and my conscience would be pinging me that they are doing wrong because it's a sin for a woman to wear pants. Uh, another is a pre pre meal prayers. And what I mean by that is, is that uh, there was a time when I, I believe that if you don't pray before you put the first morsel in your mouth, that you're sinning against God, that this is a, a rigid, hard-set rule uh, that you have to sit down, everybody has to sit down, you, you hold hands, and, and then you pray before you put a morsel in your mouth. I don't believe that anymore. I do believe in praying uh, over a meal, and I believe it's important to do it at the beginning of the meal. But if you sneak a potato chip or take a bite out of something before we pray, it's okay. It's really okay, or it is for me. But I lived in that kind of rigidity. Other people uh, taught that it was a sin to drink alcohol. And for some people, it may be a sin to drink alcohol, even though I don't believe that now. Uh, I believe that some people are free to drink alcohol in moderation. Other people, however, have a different view. But you can see uh, that once you get into the conscience, some people can be free to do some of these things. Others can't because of a weak conscience. Missing your daily devotions, that you have your devotions 365 times uh, out of the year. And some people would be so legalistic in this that they would blow through their devotions just to tick it off, uh, tick the box, so that they can say that they did their devotions to soothe their consciences because you have to do your daily devotions because daily means daily. But sometimes life is not that generous, and uh, there are episodes, and I'm not talking about patterns of where you just go going through a pattern of life where you're not spending any time in the Bible, but there can be episodic instances where you miss your devotions, but if your conscience being weak, uh, then it will condemn you, and you can even get to the point to where you are just blowing through your devotions because of your conscience, and so you're soothing the conscience, but you're not really doing devotions the way that you should be doing. Uh, Music. In church is a big deal for a lot of people, uh, and basically I'm talking about conservative uh, uh, hymnody or uh, the more contemporary songs, and we know about the music wars. Uh, movies, uh, some people it's a sin, others it's not. Having the right Bible. Uh, I was trained in my early uh, re- religious journey uh, that there was only one Bible. It was the English King James Version, the 1611 Bible, and all other Bibles were wrong. And again, this is a conscience issue for a lot of people. Now, some of you can look at this list and you know say, my goodness, it's like, why don't you just get over yourselves? Again, this is exactly what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, that we want to be careful with the knowledge that we have, that we don't flaunt it, and that we don't really shame these people. We want to come alongside them to help them uh, to be free. Uh, Anxiety patterns. Now, anxiety patterns, uh, that is the accumulative effect of a weak conscience. Uh, You'll find people with weak consciences struggling with worry and fear and anxiety uh, because their consciences are always condemning them. They live with a heavy conscience uh, because they are fearful or they worry about not pleasing someone or not doing the right thing or how people think about them. And so part of having a weak conscience where their co-knowledge, their inner voice is talking to them. And, and it's the, the quote that is attributed to Martin Lloyd-Jones, that we need to uh, stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves. And what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones was saying, that our conscience, our inner voice is talking to us, and that's where we need to take control, and we need to be the authority, and we need to speak God's Word into these things so that these anxiety patterns begin uh, to cease. Uh, The right preacher uh, if you if you don't listen to the right preacher, and some people can be very religious uh, this way, I, I follow 
uh, Paul. Others follow Cephas, and some people follow Christ. And you have your favorite celebrity preacher. And if you're not in the the right camp, the right group, the right preacher, the right preferences, or the right associations. All of these uh, become conscience issues for some people, and they will look at others that uh, don't uh, hang out with the right preacher, right group, right preferences, or right associations, and, and they judge them uncharitably because they have a rigidity because their consciences are weak. Now, you can add to this list, obviously. There are many more things, but the point is, is that making a biblical decision, you have to dial in to your conscience. What your conscience says, what your conscience is saying to you is important, and if you have a weak conscience, then the first order of business is to retrain your conscience to where it is biblically informed so that you can make a proper decision because you really can't make a right decision with a weak conscience. I recognize that sometimes you just have to make the decisions that you have to make because time will not wait for you to get your conscience in shape because you can't have a biblically informed conscience like turning a switch on It will take a lot of work. Think about those Jewish believers. It would take many of them weeks and months and maybe even a year uh, to to be able to be taught the Bible to where they could retrain their conscience to whether they could be free to eat meat or not, but they would make that decision based on a biblically informed conscience but not a weak one. But for now, the decision that they would have to make is, I'm not going to eat meat because they cannot sin against their conscience. And then the other side of the line is a hardened conscience, uh, which is a different kind of individual. Paul talked about this person in 1 Timothy 4.2. He says, through, this, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. In the King James, you'll recognize uh, their consciences were seared with a hot iron. Uh, the illustration that's often given here is taking a, a cattle, uh, what you call those uh, irons, where you, branding, a branding iron, and you, you, you get it red hot and, and you put it on the, the, the cattle's rump and it sears uh, their skin and you put their brand on them. That is a seared conscience. That is really different from a weak conscience. The Hebrew writer talked about in 3.7 and 4.7, the, the dull conscience. And as we continue to walk in sin, as we continue to choose sin, we will layer our conscience in another kind of way to after a while, it will go from dull to hard to seared to where uh, we become desensitized to righteousness. And at, at that point, you can honestly be flying blind, that that the, the, the Spirit has been grieved so much, uh, that the Spirit has been quenched so much, that you said yes to sin so often, and that you have justified and rationalized uh, the actions that you take, that your conscience will go silent. It will become hardened, and it will not communicate to you any longer. Your conscience actually is a means of grace. It is a tool that God gives us that Again, if it is in step with God's Word, then our conscience and God's Word are going to be singing the same tune. The illuminating spirit will be also, in a threefold way, will also be singing the same tune, and that is the perfect sweet spot. But if we layer our consciences by choosing sin over righteousness, you can go dull uh, to hard. And so I want to give you a few illustrations of a harden or how we can harden our conscience. Uh, the first and, and the most common way is is relying on ourselves, self-reliance versus God-reliance. I mentioned at the beginning of this webinar that w- one of the Fab Four, the Mount Rushmore of the four webinars that we do, the top four that you need to listen to, one of those is overcoming uh, self-reliance, dismantling self-reliance. This is our biggest struggle, basically trusting God or trusting ourselves. Well, if you have a pattern 
pattern of relying on yourself, trusting yourself, uh, eventually your conscience will become quieter and quieter as you make these self-reliant decisions and you'll be living in a self-reliant world distance from the illuminating uh, power of the Spirit and God's Word will become uh, uninformed to you, and you'll just rely on your own ingenuity and your own wisdom and your own decision-making process rather than trusting God. Sometimes trusting God is making decisions that are contrary, counterintuitive to uh, our minds and the way that we think, and that's why self-reliance can be uh, quite deadly. Uh, being jealous of others uh, will harden your conscience. Uh, harshness, being unkind to people, uh, uncharitable, uh, can also harden conscience. Now, in these lists, uh, gossiping I have here on the list, and this these things that I'm laying out for you, uh, probably all of us have done this, done these things in an episodic way. And the cool thing about episodes is that if the Spirit of God convicts you of these things, then you begin to walk out repentance, and that is a one of our Fab Four webinars, by the way, The Doctrine of Repentance. And so as you go through that webinar and learn how to repent, and then if you do gossip or you are, you are jealous or you do rely on yourself or you become harsh or you're uncharitable in an episodic way, you can repent, and that will bring you right back down to a biblically informed conscience. What you don't want to get into is a pattern of any of these things that I listed here. And again, this is not an exhaustive uh, list. Tardiness. Uh, for example, uh, why is tardiness wrong? Well, tardiness is about keeping your word. If you have a meeting with someone and you tell them that I will meet you at, at 11 a.m., and you're there at 11.10, and you're always there at 11.10, you're always tardy, you're always late, then you're not a person of your word, meaning you are deceptive, meaning that you cannot be trusted. And you know, and we can even pass this off as, well, uh, you know, in Canada, they call it ish. Everything is, is ish. And so I'll see you at 12-ish. And they give them that buffer. And it's, it's like a justification. I'm not throwing too much shade on my Canadian friends, (laughs) but I'm in it now, so I'm going to keep on going. But we also do that in the southern part of the United States, that it just becomes a part of the culture. Uh, God was not tardy. In the fullness of time, God brought forth his son. We want to be people of our word. And again, I understand that you can be uh, in an episodic way, that you can be late from time to time, but if it's a pattern and then you justify that, well, then if you tell me that you're going to meet me at 12, then the first thought that I'm going to have is, well, you can't be trusted. I mean, you just can't be trusted because you're not going to be there. You've never been there at 12 in the last 15 times that we met. And so tardiness uh, is just one of those minor things, uh, but yet it is something that could move us away from a biblically informed conscience. Self-pity, a lack of transparency, always hiding behind uh, fig leaves and not opening up appropriately uh, to people, uh, flirting, pornography, adultery, and rejecting God. Now, you'll see in this table here that I've presented that there are three lines here, and each line, uh, it gets uh, more, it gets harder and harder. And so self-reliance, jealousy, harshness, and uncharitableness are, are quite common. And then when we start gossiping or tardiness or self-pity, or we're starting to disguise no transparency, we're starting to hide, we're moving up to another level. And so I'm trying to show going from dull to duller uh, to dullest, or from hard to harder to hardest. And then the top line, uh, from left to right, you see flirting, and then it gets more significant, harder with pornography, and then it gets harder with adultery, and then finally you just out and out rejecting God. And so in the bottom left hand, you have self-reliance. In the upper right hand, you have rejecting God. And so you can go from relying on yourself so much, doing it your way so much, to eventually your conscience becomes so hard that you are rejecting God. Now, again, these uh, lists here, I got three, six, nine, twelve. I got 12 uh, for a hardened conscience, 12 uh, 
categories for a, a weak conscience, and you can add to this, but I just want you to see uh, that we can do this to ourselves, and when you are helping someone, or if you are self-diagnosing, analyzing yourself, because you want to have a biblically informed conscience, you need to think about what's tripping you up. Things on this list are things that, that the Spirit of God is illuminating you right now, that is pointing out right now, then you want to jot those things down. You want to share those things with a friend, and you want to have a discussion because you'll be like the Jewish believers. You're not just going to flip the switch and and be over that meat that was sacrificed to idols. It's going to take you a process of working through these things, either bringing your conscience back down from hard to biblically informed, or bringing your conscience from a place of weakness to biblically informed. And so those are a few ideas of how we can have weak or hardened consciences. Now the question becomes, what hardens our conscience? Our consciences. How does that happen? I want to present four things, uh, four traps, four ways that we harden our conscience. The first one I have here listed is justification. Justification is a theological word. Actually, it's a beautiful word. Uh, God justifies us, meaning that God declares us not guilty. Well, when we justify ourselves, when we justify our actions, when we justify our tardiness, we are declaring ourselves not guilty. It's not God declaring us not guilty, but it's us declaring ourselves not guilty, saying it was just a little sin. It wasn't that big of a deal. It's okay to do this. We begin to justify, and you take any of those actions on the previous page or anything that you have uh, added to that slide, and if you fall into the trap of declaring yourself not guilty on those things. If the Jewish believer says, you know, I'm not guilty here uh, for refraining from eating meat, and as they continue to justify declaring themselves not guilty, well, then they will never have a biblically informed conscience, and they will always be bound to this notion that they cannot eat meat. Another way that we can harden our conscience is through rationalizations. Uh, we see the culture doing that all the time. I'm sure you've done it. I've done it. Uh, where we do say, what's, what's the big deal? We go with the flow. Uh, we can say it's just a little sin, and we can rationalize uh, it away because it's not it's not that big of a deal, and everybody else is doing it as well. Uh, my parents would say what I have said to my children. Uh, if they said, jump off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? And I've said that many times, and it's just an echo of what my parents would say to me. Now, we can rationalize that. Well, everybody's jumping off a cliff, so I might as well jump off too. And if you continue to rationalize your actions when those actions are outside a biblical framework, you can harden your conscience. A third way that we can harden our conscience is by blaming. You make me so angry. Uh, they did this, therefore I responded this way. And so we put the accent mark outside of ourselves. We start with the speck, not with the log. In fact, in many cases, we don't even consider the log in our eye, but we uh, spend all of our time talking about the speck. And that's where you get into a victim uh, a victimology, a victim mindset, and you hear that all the time. When people start talking about the trouble in their lives, they begin talking about what others did to them or what happened to them. If that is the point of departure, if that is the first thing out of our mouths, we're blaming that's not a biblically healthy way to begin to think about our situational difficulty. I am not saying that we avoid what people have done to us, but you do want to be careful. You can insulate yourself, or it would be better to say incarcerate yourself by what other people have done to you because you blame uh, them all the time, and then you find your conscience being hardened and you're desensitized or impervious to what God needs to do in your heart. And then the fourth one that you see here on the screen is alleviation. Alleviation is the troubled conscience that is looking for an, an escape. Uh, they, they get on medication when they really don't have to, or they overeat, or over shop, or over 
fill in the blank, and they binge watch. Uh, they get on their social media streams and spend, you know, where do those three hours go? And they are escaping life because their conscience is, is condemning them, and they want, rather than having a, a biblical response and really work doing the hard work of working out your salvation, uh, they go into these uh, alleviating practices trying to escape life, and that can be uh, really binding, but it can be a habituation, and their conscience can go silent on them, and it gives them this passive affirmation that this is the way uh, to work through your problems. And so any four of these things, justification, rationalization, blaming, or alleviation, can do tremendous damage uh, to your conscience. Now, I want to get into some animation, some illustrations of this, because I want to continue to work on clarity, but I also want to take a coffee break uh, as well. And I want to thank you uh, for watching uh, this webinar. For those of you who are listening, uh, I want to thank you. And I have five simple requests for you, if you are able and if you're willing. One, will you pray for our ministry? Continue to pray for our ministry. Put us on your prayer list. Ask God to continue to bless this ministry. Our mission is to equip Christians so they can go out and help others. We are a discipleship ministry, helping people so they can go out and help others. It's a multiplication thing. My heart is to help people in their personal sanctification so they can go out and make disciples. And if you would pray that God would continue to expand our reach, I would appreciate it. Wherever you find us on social media, would you like us? If it's a podcast uh, platform, a social media platform like Facebook, would you like our pages? Would you you like the uh, Instagram uh, Twitter, uh, whatever, would you like and follow us? And that would be important. It will help us organically to reach more people. Also, please feel free to share all of our resources far and wide. Don't ask, just share. Share our resources with others. And then for those of you uh, who would like to do just a little bit more, I would like for you to uh, review our content. And so if you listen to a podcast, our podcast, if you would write a review, or if you're on Amazon, uh, you can write on our book pa- on, on the book page or any other place where you can write a review. If you would do that, that's kind of like liking and sharing. And again, that will help us organically. And then fifthly, I would like for you to for those of you who are able, if you can support or donate to our ministry, these resources are free, but in reality, nothing is free, uh, not even the gospel. Someone had to pay a price for the gospel. And though we give our resources away, and that is my that is my intentional intention to always give these resources away. It's not costing you anything to watch this one-hour webinar. And I know that everybody cannot give, but some can. You can support on a recurring basis, or you can make a one-time donation. And if you could do that, I would greatly appreciate it. The text of Scripture that I began with, I want to come back around to in Romans 14, 23, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, I want to take that sentence, and I want to illustrate it, because I want you to visually see what I am talking about. And so here's my friend here, and he is looking at a Happy Meal on the screen. For those of you who are listening to the podcast, there is an animated character here who's looking at a hamburger. And he, like our Jewish friends, is wanting to eat that hamburger. And so Paul says that you have to do that by faith. You have to do that believing that this is the right thing to do or whatever other synonym you want to use for faith. And so he wants to eat that hamburger. The only way he can do it is by proceeding, moving toward that hamburger in faith, picking it up, eating that hamburger, taking a bite out of it, and his conscience not condemning him in any way. He has to do that by faith. However, if he looks at that hamburger like our Jewish friends and begins to doubt, and a good way to talk about this idea of whatever proceeds by faith, you could say it this way, when in doubt, don't. And you've heard that before. When in doubt, don't. Doubt is your signal. 
Now, I'm not saying that your doubt is right. You know, pants on women or certain types of, of music and at the church meeting or, or those other things on the weak conscience list, your doubt may be wrong. But then on the hard conscience thing, if, if you're thinking about adultery and you doubt, well, that is a good thing. That is your conscience saying, don't do that. And so doubt can be a good thing, keeping you from sinning and developing a hard conscience. Or doubt could be a bad thing because it is keeping you bound in a freedom that you could enjoy as a Christian. You cannot move past doubt. And so if the line is drawn in the sand and it says doubt, then you can't move past that line in the sand. Now, you have to deal with the doubt. Is is the doubt a good thing that God is administering to you to keep you from sinning, or is the doubt because you have a weak conscience, you have to deal with that. But you cannot pass the doubt line and eat that hamburger. You have to do something with the doubt. Now, I'm going to give you a list of things. It's just a random list. Uh, I'll read it to you. Getting a job, eating, moving, eating like eating food, moving, gossip, spending money, being gay, hiring someone, judging others, smoking weed, and drinking alcohol. Now, many people would look at this list, and and you can make a case for everything that I've listed here as being on the other side of the doubt line, meaning it would be sinful for you to get a job, to eat, to move, to gossip, to spend money, to be gay, to hire someone, uh, to judge, to smoke weed, and to drink alcohol, depending on the situation, depending on the context, depending on what we're talking about. I mean, you could choose to uh, get uh, the wrong kind of, of job, uh, and, and you know that it's wrong to, to work here. Well, then that could be a sin. Uh, eating too much is obviously spending money on the wrong thing, uh, moving for the wrong reason, hiring someone when your conscience is telling you that, no, you should not hire this person. This would be a bad hire. And, of course, smoking weed and judging. All of these things can be sin. Now I'm going to uh, take all of these things, and I'm going to move them on the other side of the line you see here, and I want to make a case for doing all of these things. I want to make a case that you can do all of these things with the exception of gossiping. I can't make a case for gossiping. I can't make a case for being gay. I can't make a case for judging someone. I can't make a case for smoking weed. Alcohol is questionable. And so I've struck some of these things off the list. Gossiping, gay, judging, smoking weed, alcohol is questionable. And so as you look at this list, getting a job, eating, moving, spending money, hiring someone, possibly drinking alcohol, you can make a case that those things are not sinful, and you can move forward in faith. And you can also make a case that all of those things are sinful. And that's where it takes discernment. It takes wisdom to know exactly what each one of these things mean. And so you want to get into that decision. You want to deal with the doubt. You want to address your conscience. Some of these things are blatant, explicit sin, and there's no way that you can do these things. And then some of these things can be on either side of the line. I am free to do these things, or I'm not free. Or some people are free to do these things, and some people are not free. Decision-making in many situations, or in all situations, actually, it falls under uh, the arcing, overarching wisdom issue, the umbrella of wisdom. And so you really need God's wisdom to make the right decision because getting a job can be sinful. Getting a job may not be sinful. It depends on where the doubt is. It depends on your conscience. It depends on the wisdom that is needed. And so you can make a case for all of these things uh, on the list with the exceptions of those that I have uh, struck out, uh, gossip, gay, judging, and smoking weed, and you can move forward by faith. Now that's a little bit of a gray area, but I want to get into more gray areas. And so on the screen, I have drawn out my doubt line. I am going to list sinful things. Here's another list. Speeding, confrontation, home buying, 
leaving a church, spousal sin, dating, watching a movie, leaving a job, disciplining a child, and not being transparent. Depending on the situation, these are gray areas, similar to the last list, but I want to continue to extrapolate this because I really want you to understand the wisdom that's needed in decision-making. And so, depending on the situation, you can make a case that all of these things are sinning. Uh, For example, speeding. Well, I I think most people would know that speeding is a sin, but then what about if your spouse, your wife was pregnant or uh, you were running to an emergency of some sort and you went above the speed limit? Uh, what about if you went 57 instead of 50, 57 and a 55? Are you really sinning there? There are some people who are extremely legalistic and they would say that you're sinning and then other people would be free to say, no, I'm not sinning if I'm, if I'm driving 57 and a, and a 55 or if I'm speeding to the hospital because my wife is pregnant. And so again, wisdom matters in these situations. If you're habitually driving 15 miles over the speed limit, then you are sinning in that case. Confrontation, as you see on the list, confrontation can be a sin depending on how it's done. But then again, you can take everything on this list and you could say that it's not a sin, except in my case, dating and spousal sin, Uh, I struck those things off because there's no way I can make a case for sinning against my spouse, and there's no way that I can make a case for dating someone, unless I'm dating my spouse or dating one of our girls. Uh, But I've taken everything on this list, with the exception of spousal sin and dating, and I can make a case for doing all of these things. I've already talked about speeding. Uh, My conscience would be free to speed. If I had a child or my spouse uh, in the car and I needed to get them to the hospital, my conscience would be free to drive faster than whatever the speed limit is. And so, I, and I can make a case for all of these things, either being sin or not being sin. These are gray areas, and so you have to deal with each one of them case by case, but there's one non-negotiable. The only way you can proceed is by faith. And so when you're working through problem solving, there are four fantastic questions that you have to ask. The four questions start with the letter C. They are canon, comforter, community, and of course, conscience. Now this is like a balancing, this really, the interplay here and the balancing, the interplay and the balancing of these questions really help you Uh, to make a good decision. Canon, what does God's Word say? Comforter, how is the Spirit of God illuminating you? Community, what do a few appropriate friends suggest? Conscience, well, I've talked a lot about conscience in this webinar. You see, some people can read into God's Word and make it say anything they want to say, and so God's Word by itself could be dangerous. Other people can, well, the Spirit of God told me, and they live in this subjective world of the Spirit of God, And so if you isolate any one of these, your conscience, your community, the comforter, or canon, you can get yourself in trouble. But when you're working all four of these questions together, these become a fantastic four questions to help you to work through biblical decision-making. Now, there is one thing here that always comes up when it's biblical decision-making. You remember what Paul says, like, as long as the world stands, I'm not going to eat meat. And some people will say, well, okay, so I, I'm just controlled by what, what everybody else prefers. Uh, I am managed by other people's beliefs and preferences. Now, this is where you want to be careful. You don't want to be a stumbling block, but you don't want to cave to the fear of others. There is a tension there. There is a tension there. You don't want to be a stumbling block where you just willy-nilly call people to, uh, cause people to trip up all over themselves or you always live in fear to where you are managed by other people. And so you have to work, this is work here, and you have to work this out in your own mind and heart, life and practice. Don't be arrogant. Strive to be right with God. And so here are the four line items. Don't be a stumbling block. Don't cave to the fear of others. Don't be arrogant. Strive to be right with God. You cannot please everyone. You must genuinely love people and not dismiss them, but also live in the freedom 
that God provides. And maybe you want to screenshot this sentence here and really wrestle with it. You cannot please everyone. You must genuinely love everyone and not dismiss them, but you have to live in the freedom that God provides. There were times when Jesus offended people by his actions, though his heart was right with his Father. Go and do likewise. There are times when you will offend people with your actions, but your heart has to be right with God. And if you're right with God, and so like when Jesus Jesus offended the rich young, I mean, I could, you could probably make a case that he offended the rich young ruler. He at least made him sad. I mean, the text does say that. And Jesus said other things that offended people, the Pharisees. But Jesus was always right with his father. And so he wasn't managed by people, but he didn't go out in an arrogant way. And this is what Paul was, just to offend people, and this is what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 8, love builds up. We don't want to be puffed up, but that also means that you cannot cave to every whim, every preference, every jot and tittle that some other person believes. Now, if you have any questions about this webinar, then I want you to go to our ministries forums. We want to help you. We would love to continue to work through this with you because your situation is unique. And so if you have a decision that you're working through, do spend time reflecting on the material that I just presented. But then I also want you to come to our ministry. As I was saying earlier, our resources are free, including our time. We are a dialogue ministry, and we have free community forums for you. And so anybody in the world can come and you can ask a question. And so if you have any question about biblical decision-making, please come and ask those questions. Thank you so much for watching the video. Thank you so much by li for listening to the podcast. You're absolutely a joy to serve. The title of the podcast is How to Make a Biblical Decision about anything. My name is Rick Thomas. Thanks again for watching. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.